Hello and welcome to Design Untangle with me, Chris Mears and Carla Lindarte. Hello. Hello. We're in another bar. <laughs> yeah, we're always in a bar. Not what was that Brazilian music called in the last one? Uh, Bacacha. Bachata. Bachata. Bacacha. <laughs> <laughs> that's a type of bread, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That's, that is chuba chubata. Chubata. <laughs> Um, how's it going? I'm very good. Yeah. You're back from Google Mothership, aren't you? In yeah, I was America? in San Francisco yeah. last week, uh, drinking a lot of uh, avocado smoothies. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I just went to Mountain View, which is the head office of Google. Very cool. Yeah. Lots of like food and entertainment. Like yeah, it should be work related, but not much work <laughs> really <No>. happened there. <laughs> Um, yeah, it was good. It was good. It was interesting to see how much money Google has. <laughs> yeah, they've got a few quid, I've had. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's actually quite. Um, yeah, it was. I was quite impressed. Yeah, we were just talking before we start recording about the weird little Uber thing they've got like oh, on yeah. the side. Yeah, well. they've got this like amazing in Mountain View, which is outside of San Francisco. They've got this uh, service. It's called G Ride. You can download an app and basically book like an Uber within the campus so then everywhere you go they can take you around um, yeah. and it's they just and it's individual as well they can go pick you up and then take you wherever you are for free obviously like you don't have to pay anything i was really impressed when that happened i might get one of those for my house i'd like <laughs> just a little driver that i could summon when i want to move like to the kitchen or something yeah <laughs> it's really and also like it's not such a long distance anyway yeah. But they because they have bikes and sometimes it gets too hot, so they just offer a deer ride to Googlers. That's very kind. Um, so today we are going to talk about designing for power users. Yeah. And I what think, is a power user? What is a power user? Power user. I think they're people that use products kind of repetitively, or they're using products that's designed to be used repetitively, so over time they become experts in the software essentially. Mm -hmm. So that's a bit different to when we're talking about designing usability-wise for people to easily be able to complete a task, you know, very obviously. These users you can sometimes have features which are a little bit more like not quite as prominent which will allow them to move through the application quicker and more efficiently yeah you could also like define it as a you know when you design a a product that is made for conversion conversion being a sign up a purchase whatever you have to like simplify it and just make sure that you're as inclusive as possible having as many users as possible whereas when you design for power users you actually have to go deeper into their needs because they actually need to use this system or this product um, multiple times you know it's like a multiple use it's not yep. a one-time use so it is different the way you have to approach it um yeah that's yep. it, isn't it? yeah that's about it um so a lot of times power users you'd kind of associate them i guess with enterprise software and that sort of stuff but you can be a power user of something like Facebook or Instagram or whatever and those apps do actually have a lot of sort of hidden shortcuts and stuff that you can use which might not necessarily be completely obvious to a first time user yeah. like I know Instagram if you long hold like the add photo button it gives you access to your camera roll mm. so you can pick something from that 
So that's not something that if you put someone in a usability lab who's never seen the app before, they're probably not going to find that feature. But after they've used it, you know, 20, 50 times, they might play around with the interface a bit more and experiment and then discover that. Yeah. Sometimes it's a bit scary to have power users because especially when you're launching a new product, um, when you have people using your products multiple times, they can find the bugs that you could never find in usability testing. Yeah. Um, and they can like find you know ways of not breaking it, but that happens at Google a lot, especially on our Google marketing platform products. Um, a lot of the users are people in agencies who use these products all over yeah. like every day. And then a lot of the times they even hack it or break it or, you know, they, they call and they find things that the engineering team has never yeah. seen. They actually have their super valuable feedback as well when they're developing a new product or when they're improving the roadmap, you know, planning for the roadmap of the product, they use power users. To, to, to tell them what they actually need because yeah. they need to prioritize those features. So I think it's, it's more also when you kind of evolving the product. It's not necessarily, you not need power users when you're launching an MVP. Yeah. You do it when you have a more advanced product, more developed product. Yeah, so I know Monzo, which we've done a few kind of topics on, a fintech company here in the UK, they rely on their group of I don't know if you call them power users, but like super fans basically, but <laughs> people that are super engaged with the product, using it all the time, and they kind of want to help shape it, I suppose, yeah. which can be, you know, a bit of a double-edged sword because you don't want to design something that only works for these people that love you, yeah. which is something we talked about. But again, they're people that are very familiar with the product and they'll very often kind of sniff out where you've made a, a mistake in a flow <laughs> or this, you've made a change which means they now can't do something yeah. as easily as they could before. Mm -hmm. So that's another kind of group of, I guess, power users you can get feedback from. Yeah, definitely. And it's really, especially now that you mentioned changes, like when you're making changes to a product for power users, you have to really have a, a clear plan of rollout of those changes yeah. because you could impact a lot of people um, because of the way they used to doing things one, like one way. And they're also looking for speed, um, especially if you're talking about like people who are using the product to do their jobs. Um, they basically need to be quick and they need speed. And then if you change something, it's obviously going to be traumatic. Every change is traumatic. So uh, at Google, for example, we have like very clear rollout plans when you're making changes yeah. to the products. Um, training, uh, videos, how-to videos, emails, uh, they, they basically, in our team, they give us, uh, engineering team will give us like a script of the things that we need to send people to tell them the changes because it could have a massive impact on their performance and also the yeah. company's performance as well. So you have to have a clear plan for that. Yeah, so I remember when we worked on a project years and years and years ago, like 2013 or something, wasn't it? <laughs> so yeah, I can't obviously reveal too many details, but we were moving kind of this company as an insurance company, I think we can say that, mm. off of this platform that was basically just MS-DOS, really. So the whole thing was just keyboard shortcuts, stuff like that, mm. trying to bring it a bit more up to date. And obviously these people, they've sometimes been using this system for like 20 years or something, and they know it like the back of their hands to a, a millennial, maybe. It might look absolutely ridiculous, but 
if you're looking purely at just how quickly they can complete their tasks, you know, it was fine. They know they do control E to do this and all this stuff. So yeah, it was quite challenging to figure out how to roll it out to those users. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the best things you can do is really involve them in the research and the design process uh, as with anything and um, have a, a sort of panel almost of power users that you can test things with and see where the flaws are because yeah they probably know shortcuts on the old software that you haven't even discovered yeah like, your the danger period. of that as well like in that project related to that project is that because you have people who so basically what they wanted to do was to do and when you basically when are you talking to the users what they want is an improved version of what they have yeah but you think about really improving the experience you had to go away from the mental model that they already had so they basically were using about four different systems at the same time and they wanted an easier way to navigate between the systems but the, our approach was like, let's just incorporate all the features that you need from all the different systems into one. Which obviously, if you think about from an experience perspective, it's much better experience. Yeah. But for them, it was like, no, that's not what we want. We just want the same thing, but better. So talking about the change then, we, we had to kind of take them through that journey and show them why we were, like rather than creating all these different pages and different platforms, we basically in integrating the functionality within one flow. Yeah. Um, and that took a lot of time, and there's a lot of, oh, and that's the problem with power users that they they used to do in the um, one way, their ways in one way. It's really hard to push them away from that. So yeah. You have to um, involve them, but also you have to challenge them as well, a little yeah. bit. That's what, that's what we learned in that project, because um, at the beginning they were super reluctant to the new experience. So we kind of ended up like halfway. And we also uh, talked about like a, going back to the rollout plan, having different like um, rollouts. So say phase one is going to be this which is an improved version of what you're doing, and phase two is going to be this, and, yeah. but the goal and the vision is going to be this. So I think it's at least they knew there was a path for, uh -huh. for the change, and it wasn't, it wasn't going to be like a one-off change, because that would, that would have been more traumatic. Yeah, and like any users, power users are no different when you introduce a change. You know, as we've said, people hate change, even <laughs> if it's for the better. So. You shouldn't always be surprised if people are going, this is shit, I hate it. <laughs> and it might be, you know, after some education and a few tries at doing it, they'll come around eventually. It's very often the case with these big sort of reveal designs, which is, try which is why I generally try and avoid doing that wherever possible. Um, yeah, Twitter's just rolled out a new design and people were hating on it, yeah. which is to be expected. You know, they've got millions of users, lots of which are probably this group of power users, yeah. and they've had a certain way of doing things for ages and they're not happy about it. But there will never be. I mean, there's always going to be some kind of rejection of change, and we all know that. But we need to make sure that, you know, you plan for the future and you plan for the, you know, the bigger audience as well, yeah. especially in the, in, the, in the product like Twitter. But I also like something that you have to bear in mind as well. Like sometimes we are like in our studios or you know offices, and even though we try to do user testing, we do it with people we know or you know not necessarily the end user or the power user. Yeah. Which I mean, in a project I worked on for a retailer, I'm not going to mention the name of a retailer, but 
it was uh, a retailer that does um, these special buys. <laughs> Probably yeah. I've given away already. Um, and they, people who are like very loyal customers, they used to like the Tuesdays and Thursdays, I think it is, when the new special buys come through. And there was an app that was developed, and the whole app was based on that uh, information architecture. So people going and looking what's coming up on the special buys next week. Yeah. Um, even though we did some research, etc., we made a decision to change the experience completely, and we said, okay, let's go with categories. So uh -huh. I'm just looking for um, homeware, or I'm looking for, um, you know, um, swimmingware, whatever. So we said, Let, let's just prioritize that way of navigation rather than the Tuesdays and Thursdays, and deprioritize the specialized navigation. Um, and that was a major. <laughs> a major <laughs> problem because um, majority of these users, especially the users of the app, were very loyal um, users who are always going there to look at something, and then suddenly everything disappears. Like, and obviously they they're not necessarily super digitally savvy, so it's like they can't find them. They're just writing reviews saying this app is the worst thing in the world. Like, so you have to be careful, and that's what I think beta programs and you know just launching uh, the product to a percentage of the population where you actually get the real users using your app is super valuable because as I said you could try and make the experience better and I'm sure the experience is much better than the previous yeah. <laughs> but it wasn't what people were expecting and that's where and because you have more passionate users then they, they are the ones who write the, the, the reviews yeah <laughs> they're the ones that give you the rating so um, you have to be careful and just really balance you know, the change and also make sure that, um, you know, you, you test it properly, not not just user testing. You like test your proposition with a percentage of your population. I think it really, really makes a difference. Yeah, I think that's a big issue I see in, in lots of companies. They're always trying to design just for that first sort of sign up or use of the product. And it's all about that. It's never about the returning users, like what are their issues, how can we make their journey faster, it's always focused on yeah that initial conversion and is it usability friendly in terms of can they complete the sign up or whatever, exactly. but then it's like what after that, like you've got a hundred <laughs> stage flow to you know post a picture or whatever. Yeah, also you need to look at your data as well, I think, well in that particular case we didn't really have access to the analytics of the app. But it would have been useful to see, you know, what kind of like most common um, journeys would, you know, were actually happening in the current product. Because if you kind of say, okay, 90% of the people are just going to do this, you have to make sure that they can still do that, yeah. right? And whatever, and this happened as well with one of my financial services clients in Sapien. Is like we looked at the data and we realized people only want to do this when they come into the homepage. So not only, but that's the priority task. You ha you can't forget about that and yeah. just try to put it at the bottom because it looks better. You have to make sure that people can do it, it's evident. But sometimes when you don't look at the data, you don't see what's going on, then you just make assumptions. And you, you user testing, people that you user test with kind of gets it so you say okay you're confident but you need data and you need like proper testing with power, power users to be able to to really make a final decision uh -huh. on, on that yeah and sometimes i think when you're rolling out a new product it's difficult to get that feedback from power users until you've got sort of the base product in place yeah, true so 
Yeah, you almost have to work on that first, and once you've got sort of a skeleton of what it's going to be like, you then have to bring in the power users and, and understand how they would complete tasks on that, because you can't really get them to do it until they're sort of experiencing the new experience, if you see what I'm saying. <laughs> experiencing the new experience. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, a lot of companies are doing like, now for example, I just recently heard um, companies who are recruiting like power users types through Facebook or Google networks to like rapidly test a proposition with let's say 500 users. Um, that's what I talk about, like beta. Um, it's basically just once you've got a basic version of the app or the product before you actually launch it to the whole thing, you test that you know these type of users that I want. So you have to kind of recruit them yeah. um, specifically. Um, you can recruit them through different channels to be able to test whether or not it's going to work for them. Yeah. And you do it very quickly. You do, you do it and you can see you know, what are the journeys, what, what is the feedback. You can also link it to a feedback form at the end, just uh -huh. making sure you get feedback because um, that's going to prevent major problems. Yeah. yeah. So I'm not sure whether I actually agree with it as an approach, but I've seen quite a lot of apps and websites where they've got modes essentially so you've got your kind of basic mode for someone who's new to the app or just starting out and then the more advanced mode which usually just exposes more options and gets rid of help text stuff like that for, for that different type of user I've seen it quite a lot on kind of stock trading -y type things like you know Bitcoin or, or whatever so yeah, that seems a little bit hacky to me as a, are you a noob or are you not a noob kind of thing, but that is another approach you can potentially yeah. explore. Some people might be happy to say, you know, I've been doing this for years, I know what I'm doing, I don't need hand-holding through the app, just show me what I need to, to see. Mm -hmm. So that could be one route to explore, validated yeah. through testing, obviously. That, that's really good. I mean, that's a, good, that's a good way of doing it. I mean, you should be able to recognise whether or not the user you have is advanced, especially you're doing a redesign, you should be able to recognize what kind of user is interacting with yeah. the app. I think it depends on sort of the subject matter of the product yeah. as well. In some areas like stocks, for example, there's very clear, I suppose, like progress levels in terms of how much you understand about the yeah. stock market and stuff. That's uh, a very difficult topic anyway. Yeah. yeah. So I guess, that, I mean, if if you translate that into a different, like a more a simpler context, um, if you were to, there's some, there's a concept that it was like going on a few years ago about responsive design, but responsive not being like the responsive framework, you know, like yeah. in the screens, but just design that it adapts to the type of user that is using the app. So if you can recognize that, you know, the person is, I don't know, over 70 and, you know, you know certain characteristics of the of the user then you could push a version of your product that is more um you know aligns with the needs of that particular yeah, larger fonts yeah, potentially stuff larger like fonts that. stuff yeah. like that uh, i mean i know i don't know who's actually doing that to be honest i know it was a concept because i i can't imagine being a bit difficult and obviously more expensive yeah and um, because they can't design for everyone right so they need to prioritize one type of user but that would be a very good way of doing it like you could really print identify what kind of user you are and just give you the features that you need to do the basic things that you need to do yeah rather than giving you everything all 
oversimplified for more advanced users. Yeah, but I suppose at the very least you could recognize if they were a returning user and, you know, they'd used it 50 times before, you can probably, you know, reduce the help text a little bit. And, yeah, and, that and even stuff. like just slowly, which is something that we tried to do with um, um, my financial client at Sapien was like slowly like discover, discovering new features, so improving the discoverability of the app, not necessarily by just pushing lots of tutorials when you sign up for the app the first yeah. time. It's just after, for example, after you've done a transfer, then it, it just shows you a prompt to a different feature within the actually the, within the same screen and not necessarily like an overlay yeah which you know that users tend to close all the time so it's just slowly like as you become more of a power user you get given more features to do what you need to do rather than doing it like at once you know yeah. or, or never doing it because yeah. you don't discover the features that the app has mm -hmm. cool i think that's all i've got for power users ready i think it's just important to remember that yeah, the goal is to get people to sign up, but the bigger goal is to get them to come back, yes. I think. And you have to remember that they are really your biggest sort of valuable customers and users. So exactly. make sure and to remember just, their needs. And, just, and also, like, I know we all think about happy paths. Happy path is like, yeah, easy, sign up, there you go. Remember, there's different types of users with different types of levels of... Um, literacy would you call that or li like knowledge of your product or what they need to do and depending on the type of business you are you're going to find that sometimes you find people who know more about that product than you yep. and you really need to respect their point of view without getting yourself pulled into their mental models because sometimes they're way too strict so yep. you have to really be more obviously have empathy and understand their needs and help them uh, do their jobs better but without moving away completely from yeah. what they used to do. So it's finding the right balance. Yeah, I think a lot of it filters down into your product design itself, which can really like make or break your product. So if you're designing a bank for purely first-time users, did you know a bank is where you can store your money? And it's like some 50-year-old person who's obviously been using banks for the life of it, like, fuck you, I'm deleting this app. So. Yeah, if you don't consider those users, you're going to end up just like simplifying stuff is usually a good thing, but you can get to a point where you're being condescending, yeah. I think, as well. Exactly, exactly. So, yeah. That's it, power That's users. Good power users. Be, let's be a power user. <laughs> yeah, that is the goal. All right, Bye. until next time. See you later. See you later. Bye. Search and subscribe to Design Untangled using your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. Follow us on the web at designuntangled.co.uk or on Twitter at designuntangled. Become a better designer with online mentoring at uxmentor.me.